Hello and welcome to another episode of You Can Manage That, a podcast for first-time managers who want to level up their leadership skills. I'm your host, Chris Asper, and if you're a first-time manager who wants to lead a team during challenging times, this episode is for you. I'm excited to speak with Larissa Lizniak, Senior Manager of Technical Sales at Dell Technologies. Larissa has over 20 years of experience in the IT industry. Born and raised in Ukraine and immigrated to Canada 25 years ago, she is married with two children, seven and 10. She's been with Dell Canada for the past 17 years and has held a variety of sales roles, starting from the very junior entry level all the way to her current position. The last nine years, she's led several teams. Currently, she has a team of technical sellers with national coverage. Larissa's passion is for building highly engaged, diverse teams with a culture of inclusion. She is a part of the Women in Action Employee Resource Group, focused on helping women in the IT industry to grow and develop their skills and careers. She is also part of the Diversity and Inclusion Council, dedicated to achieving Dell's moonshot goals. Larissa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Excited to be here. Uh, so can you share a brief overview of your journey from starting your career to becoming the senior manager of technical sales at Dell Technologies? Yeah, absolutely. So my first role in Canada was a technical support representative. I moved to Canada 25 years ago, as you know, when I was 20 from Ukraine. So it was, it was a big deal to get a job here. And that's how I really got into the IT industry. So since then, I've um, really worked in different uh, support type of roles, customer service, admin, and then eventually made my way to Dell Technologies, where I was received a role of associate sales rep. So to help during government year end, it was a temporary role, but I knew that this is where I wanted to stay. And I saw a potential for career growth, not just having a job, but having a career. So I worked very hard to make sure that I stayed and I managed to get into an ISR role, so inside sales rep. And I've worked in different territories, different divisions. And after about nine, 10 years, I was ready for more. I was ready for another role for that next step. And I couldn't figure out what it was gonna be. So my manager at the time planted the seed of what about leadership? And it's interesting, sometimes we don't see ourselves that way in that capacity, and it takes someone else to have that faith in you, to have that vision for you. So six months later, I applied for a role, and to my surprise, I did get it. It was a huge challenge, so I uh, became inside sales manager. And um, I've now had and led different various teams in different divisions. Uh, my current team are TSRs, so technical sales reps. We support medium business customers across Canada, and we sell data center portfolio. And I've been in this current role for about four and a half years. And how many people currently report to you? About 22. So I have one leader and, uh, and 21 individual contributors. So going back to when you were first a manager, um, talk about some of the, let's call them lessons that you've learned uh, when you were first starting out as a, as a people leader? Yeah, a ton of, a ton of lessons. And uh, that first year was really a year of growth, not only professionally, but personally as well. Being part of those boardrooms with incredibly brilliant, driven, uh, skilled leaders was eye-opening, right? Changing the perspective and the thinking from just about yourself and your territory to thinking broader, bigger picture, more strategic, long-term thinking. That was a lot of growth. One of the interesting ones was 
the transition from individual contributor to the leader and understanding what value I bring to the team. I really struggled with that because in my mind, it was the team members that did and, 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 and executed things. And like, what value do I bring as a leader? So that took a little bit to kind of get through that and understand really where I shine and what, uh, what I can do for the team and how important my role was. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience. Um, would you mind talking about like some of the shifts that you had to make from being that high-performing individual contributor of you know your territory, your sales, to understanding that your value is different as a leader? So how did you make that transition? Like, what what were some of the beliefs that you had to let go of, and what were some of the the new beliefs that you had to adopt? And not just maybe beliefs, but also skill sets or behaviors or um, actions that you need to take. Yeah, it, that's a lot, right? Like, so so a lot has happened in that transition in understanding how important my role to the team is, even though I'm not the one picking up the phone and calling the customers and making the deals happen. I'm supporting the team, but it's the part about motivating them and engaging them and being there for them and allowing them to do their best work. That's where my value came in. And it took a, a poor experience with one of my leaders where I became miserable in my own role, where it really clicked in and, and I went, oh, uh-huh. That was my aha moment. That's how important it is, your leader, because they can either make you happy to show up, do your best work, and really want to be there and feel seen and appreciated, or it can go the other way where you're really miserable and it's, you know, every Monday you don't want to show up there and it's a struggle to go to work, right? So that's the difference a good versus a poor leader can make in the team's performance and the team's happiness. So that's how that one happened for me. And in terms of some of the ways that I changed my skill set, it was how to talk to people was big, right? Words have power. It was how to think long-term, longer vision, broader, bigger picture as well, and tackle on bigger challenges versus just the small, right? Like strategic versus tactical. So that was another skill that I had to develop. One of the things that you talked about was motivation. And because you are in sales, I imagine that motivation could be really tough, particularly now with you know a lot of companies they're letting go staff there's you know a recession what would you say are are some of the key challenges that you anticipate for leaders whether first time managers or even now when it comes to leading their team in, during this time yeah i'd say leading through difficult challenging times is difficult right regardless whether you're new or you experienced it's just difficult so for those new leaders out there, if you're struggling, it's because it's hard, right? Like it's it's not an easy task right now. So some of the challenges that I'm seeing with leading the teams is, well, first of all, delivering on the number, like business objectives and outcomes. When economy slows down, when customers are not purchasing or projects get delayed, it's hard in sales to hit your number and to deliver on those objectives. So that's a big one. And that also brings difficulty with engaging and motivating the team because if they're not achieving their goals or business goals they're not happy either so to keep them engaged right is a challenge and that all starts with with you as a leader is to keep yourself in that positive mindset and uh, how to keep looking forward right and and thinking about the future whatever's happening right now it's a moment in time this too shall pass so how do we focus on the future and how to 
we work towards that future state and future goals. You, you talked about a, a few things there. I like the, the last one you, you said about thinking about the future, right? And also understanding that this time shall pass. How else do you keep your team motivated, especially when you know people aren't hitting their numbers and that might impact morale on the team? Yeah, so a couple of things you can do. One is focus on the things that we can control, right? So there's things out there, external factors, economy that are outside of our control. So we can't focus on that because there's nothing we can really change. But what we can change and what we can control is our actions and our activity. So the sales manager, Instead of focusing on their quotas and the results, I focus on activity, right? Like, are you reaching out to your customers? What kind of conversations are you having? And that's what I measure them on because that is something that is within their control, right? Focus on improving your skills, on training, development. When things are a little bit slower, it's a great time to start learning and getting better. So when things pick up, you're a better version of yourself. So that's one. Another uh, thing that, that I do, I think is extremely important, is to praise the team members for their achievements, however small or big, if they go above and beyond, absolutely, by paying attention to even small things and recognizing them often and giving that praise often, right? So that goes a long way. Maybe they didn't hit their quota, they're not rep of the quarter, but they did something, as in they received a great email from the customer, so they're a customer champion, or they achieved another great metric, so you congratulate them on that. So noticing their behavior and things that they're doing and congratulating and celebrating those small wins with them, well, small or large, all of them really. Mm -hmm. I like that. So celebrating progress and using this time now to get better. So that way when times pick up again, because it sounds like they, they always do, times will pick up again that they'll be ready. Yes, one of the big things that we also drive in the organization is even though there's no maybe career progression right now, things kind of slow down a bit, but this is the perfect time to work on that networking with others and prepare yourself for your next step. So when things, when opportunity is there, you're ready, right? Yeah, I imagine that you've got a lot of people on your team that are like, oh, I want to move up. Um, I'm ready for that next role. And it's like, well, there's no room right now uh, to move up. And, and so how do you keep them engaged? Is that by, okay, develop your skills? How else would you motivate people like that, that I want to move up, but there's kind of a, a hiring freeze or a promoting freeze? There is, there is right now for us anyways, right? And that's exactly it. And it, you will always have peaks and valleys, right? There's always the good times and, and the tougher times. And that's when you focus on the future. Where do you want to get? What do you need to get? there right like this is the time to to network to speak with those hiring managers what are you looking what role are you looking to get into who is that decision maker to to hire for that role make sure they know who you are make sure you talk to them about your skill set right and ask for feedback and and know where you need to work on the the weakness areas or, or opportunity areas right and work towards that show them your progress so this is the time when you do the work and then you get to shine when things get better. Mm -hmm. Thanks. And so you've been a leader for the last nine years, and I imagine that there has been some ups and downs during that time, not just currently, but, you know, in the last uh, nine years. You know, is there a, an instance when you were leading a team during that challenging economic time? Like, what lesson did you learn during that time? Yeah, so as, you know, everybody's aware, we just went through global pandemic experience. So first of all, let's not ever do that again, because... Um, <laughs> yeah, let's stop nobody, that. Let's, let's, uh, let's not do let's that. Let's not do that uh, again. So nobody, 
Yeah, nobody was having a good time dur during that, right? So to lead through that, to live through that, <laughs> lead through that uh, was interesting, right? Very challenging. It, it was interesting because there's so many different levels of challenges. First, from the, the mental, emotional state of people just being in the lockdown and not happy, regardless of which your situation is, right? Whether it's parents dealing with small children at home, whether it's someone isolated because there are families in another city or country, they can't see them. So everybody was having a really difficult personal time. There's so much uncertainty. Economy was, you know, not great. Um, there was logistical challenges and delays in, in delivering product. Like it was just a variety, p p pick your own adventure here kind of, of challenges. So to lead through that was was interesting and uh, there's a lot of lessons learned i'd say the big one for me was building the culture right and having that team and the culture of belonging having the team spirit collaborating and staying close with each other so there was a ton of things we learned what to do and how to get through that together as a team but also fun right like the social interaction the um the belonging, the connection, and, and having actually a good time being at work, connecting with your peers and your coworkers was a big part of the lessons that I learned leading through that. I want to jump there uh, for now and, and talk about that because I think, you know, one, you, as a leader, you had to adapt to being remote, and two, you talked about building the culture. So what did you do to build the culture, particularly around remote work? now hybrid but how do you say that you know what are some of the things that you did to build that culture uh, on your team yeah so culture is huge for, for, for me it's such a big focus and that's what really makes it or breaks it right and and having the team stay engaged and be happy and showing up and doing their own it's all things to to the culture a couple of things that i did as a leader is to create channels where people could connect right like first it was all remote and uh, it, it was a fairly seamless transition for us because we're all already set up and we worked remote part-time anyways, right? So that part was seamless. So we had the tools like the Zoom, the Teams, even for personal sometimes chatter on WhatsApp. So different tools to create that virtual connection so people could still talk to each other. And some of it is work-related. Hey, how do you do this? And some of it is just fun. Joking and sense of humor was huge. So joking around and creating that fun, lighthearted environment when everybody is stressed and kind of having a hard day or hard time. So having those positive interactions and bits of fun in your day was extremely important, right? And then another part was creating the time for the team to hang out socially, right? Just to talk. Could be a little bit about work, could be personal. And when I, when I do those social interactions, I like them unstructured. I find that it is better for getting to know people on a personal level. We've done uh, structured ones where you kind of play some cert certain game, online game together, and it's fun and it's nice, but it doesn't build that bond, right? Like you have a good time and then you log off and you go about whatever. Versus when it was unstructured, you still have to lead it, right? Like you still have to ask really good questions so people open up. You still have to make sure everybody's engaged. So like bringing every person in if, if they're not participating or is engaged. But that's how you really get to know the team and you get to bond, right? So creating that strong team bond 
was extremely important in, in those stressful, difficult situations. And I, I felt it really, really helped us get through that. So I, I heard some tools, some unstructured time online with people just to, to build those bonds as well as some structured time. Larissa, we're talking a lot about you know building that culture with remote teams, I imagine that trust could be very hard to do. So any advice for leaders on how to build that trust, particularly in that remote environment? Trust is a big one, right? Like that's definitely the foundation of everything. And I would say it starts with do what you say you're going to do. So follow through on your promises. Active listening is very important. So pay attention to what your team members are telling you and dig in when when you're really sensing something, ask follow-up questions. And when they come to you with a challenge or a difficulty, take that seriously and really execute on that, right? Like follow up and then get back to them saying, hey, this is what happened. But don't just do it as a check mark exercise because they'll know, they'll feel, right? Like you won't build the trust. You really, this is the time when you go above and beyond for your team. They bring something to you and you will not always fix all of the challenges that they bring to you, but you really make that serious effort, right? Like, and really try to fix it for them and then get back to them. So that's on on kind of building trust. But in terms of also trust in a remote setting, a big part of uh, team meetings is an interesting part, right? So when you when you do a team meeting and you have do it remotely, so everybody has their camera off. Who knows if they're paying attention or not? You hope so, right? You can ask for the camera on, but sometimes you get the the camera fatigue, so you have to be understanding with that. But what often happens, especially if you're new to the team or a new leader, you ask a question for roundtable as crickets and nobody's saying anything, and it's so hard to get people to talk, right? So a couple of ways I I work through that is going around the room, the virtual room, and asking them, hey, what about you? Did you have anything to add, right? The key here with that is to make it a very positive interaction for them. So if you ask for their ideas or input, doesn't matter what they say you have to react in a positive way and you have to thank them for that because it, it, you know, it takes a little bit of bravery for them to speak up. So when somebody speaks up, you always thank them and you make it a very positive experience, no matter what they say, right? Like you, you acknowledge it and then you kind of go to the next person and always make it very positive experience. So the others will see, oh, that wasn't so scary, right? Like it was a good thing. And she thanked him or her. And I want to be thanked and I have ideas and I want that, right? So it's very important to treat um, those ideas that people give you as gold and make them feel valuable and seen and heard. And then magic really happens because the next time you go around round table, they're not scared to speak up, Mm -hmm. right? And they will talk. So it's very important. And also some team members pretty brave and it will be the same ones that are talking often, right? And then you will have some quieter ones. So it's important to bring those quieter ones in as well. Say, hey, Chris, do you have anything to add today? Or is there anything on your mind? Did you have any experience? What about you, right? And they may say nothing and that's okay too, right? Like that's, that's totally fine. Not, not every time you will have something, but it's making that environment of feeling included and seen and heard and appreciated mm. is, is what really will make the difference and will build trust as well. Mm. I like that. And I think this is, I want to add, this is something that you don't do just once. You got to do this every single meeting. 
how you talk to them matters, right? So uh, another quote here is people will re- will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel, mm-hmm. right? So if you make them feel seen, appreciated, included all the time, they feel a lot more comfortable speaking up, but it has to be a consistent behavior. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, just because you do it once and it doesn't work, I'm going to encourage people keep at it, right? Because people think need to see this repeated behavior in order for them to trust that afterwards, you'll start seeing a shift. But, you know, if you try it once and you, you don't, nothing works, try it again and continue to try it until you see those results. Now that we've kind of gone back to work, so we're, we're working in the office a few days. It's called this hybrid work environment now. How has that shifted the way that you lead in making sure that that team dynamic is still there? Yeah, so another interesting challenge, right, to overcome, and, and we're all kind of learning how to lead in this new hybrid environment. Some of my team are in different provinces, so, you know, definitely cannot be on site, so leading in, in that way. And you have to be cognizant of the two types of team members that you have at all times. So if you're doing something in person, you have to either make it hybrid, so they're included, or you have to do another meeting another session that is remote. So you have to double up. And if you are doing hybrid, we've tried it so many different ways. And, you know, a lot of lessons learned in terms of technology. It's, it gets complicated when you want to set up the people in the room and people on the phone and everybody has seamless, similar experience. And um, the big part there is a leader is to always think about all of your people, not just the ones in front of you, right? And that takes effort. Checking in with those on the phone often. Uh, can you hear us? Okay. Is everything, all the technology working, right? And then when you're asking a question, make sure you ask it specifically to people on the phone and you're checking in with them often, right? So they feel included. I don't know if you've ever had a phone call where there are people in the room and you're on the phone. You can't hear very well, right? It's not the same. So once you've had that experience yourself, it makes it so clear how important it is to include them and remember about the, the remote people either that or again do two separate sessions one in person and one for remote so then everybody has the same experience so a few different approaches i think what i heard you say was around empathy having empathy for the people who are remote and making sure that you're, you're in their shoes remembering what it's like so that way you can always make sure that they're involved included uh, feel seen and heard now that we're, we're kind of in this hybrid environment We still need to maintain this high-performing team. Now it's a a high-performing hybrid team. What are some of the foundational elements that you think are are really key to this high-performing remote team? Again, I would say with remote or hybrid, especially remote, uh, culture, right? Like I I will always um, go back to culture and, and the team spirit and engagement. So when you have an engaged team, they will perform. Right. Like you have to give them clear objectives that this is the what. Right. Like this is what you need to do. And when you have professionals, oftentimes they will figure out the how. Right. They just need to have clear objectives. But having that engagement from them and make sure that they're all participating and make sure that they're all with you every step of the way. That's the really key piece. And it's so easy to feel disconnected when you're remote. Like right now, you know, I'm in my basement in the home office. And, you know, I don't see my coworkers for days on end. So you can feel very isolated when you're remote. So to make sure that they feel part of the team, that they feel that that they belong, right, that they feel heard and seen and included is a big part how you ensure that the people are performing and going above and beyond. 
And it's building that culture, right, is, is the big step. One of the things that you said was making sure that they understand the goal. But when things change, you as their leader need to also get clarity on that goal. And so how do you get that clarity of what the objective is so that way you could be clear with your team on what their objectives are? Well, you have that communication with your leader, right? And if something is not clear to you, for you, you, you ask for that clarity. But I think as a leader, a lot of it falls on you, right? To interpret those, those messages and sometimes make it your own and decide the strategy for your team because that's really your role. There's the big organizational goals, right? Like, you know, your, your number that you have to deliver. And then the, the how piece, right? How you deliver that news and um, what priorities I set for my team, that's on me, right? So as things change organizationally and as our roles change and as industry changes, it's on me to really sit back and think, okay, how do I change what I'm asking from my team and what does good look like today? Like, it's so important to be connected with reality of the situation with the team and make sure what you're asking is actually realistic, right? And put yourself in their shoes and make sure that you're asking good achievable things from them. Excellent. And so nine years of experience of doing this, now you're like, I can pivot like this. What would you say are, are some of the things that you would advise to new managers on how to be able to adapt on the fly or figure out what the objective is on their own without needing to like always pestering their manager or their boss of like, what's the goal? What's the goal? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I, I had it like this. Absolutely not. I think I'm still working on it and learning. It's it's kind of a life learn, life, lifelong learning process. Something to help would be talk to, to other colleagues, right? Like talk to, to other managers that are in a similar situation. Make sure that you balancing things off them. Having mentors, right? Someone that you can run things by and say, hey, I have this particular challenge and it's and, and I what do, what do I do right I also like for, for early leaders or reps to have a buddy system so buddy you up with some someone who's experienced so that you know you can learn from that person yeah it's, it's just networking with others and seeing what what else what others are doing to help until you kind of figure it out on your own what I'm hearing you say w without you saying it is it's important for managers regardless of whether you are experienced or not to really have that network of people that you can go to, other colleagues, other managers, other mentors that can help you out. I think one of the mistakes that a lot of managers make first time, especially, is figuring, thinking that they need to know it all. Nobody knows it all, right? Like regardless of what level you're in, everybody has a mentor. I can't even begin to tell you how many leadership sessions where senior leaders would tell you, nobody knows it. Nobody has all the answers. We all need a sounding board. We all need a mentor. We all need some support, especially in the beginning, right? Like there's so many aspects to leadership that are difficult and complicated and you're not gonna know everything from, from the get-go, right? Like you learn as you go over the years, but having that support system is very important. Mm -hmm. We talked about achieving high performance and, and creating that culture, but what about when there's instances when I may have to give some bad news, in particular, a PIP? Um, performance improvement plan. What would you say is some advice of one, giving that and two, this balancing of being empathetic, but also making sure that the team meets their objectives? Yeah, the dreaded PIP, right? <laughs> 
the big one. It's it's one of the more difficult aspects of, of leadership and being a manager. And uh, I would say you always start with empathy, right? Always start with understanding what is going on with, with, with a team member. And uh, is there something affecting them in their personal life? Has there been a recent change? Is there something bigger going on with them? I would also look at the past performance, at the history, right? Like, have they been performing great and then something happened? Or has this been going on for a while, right? So step one is to understanding why. Why are, are they not delivering what's going on in their life? Step two is to enable them, right? Which is, pip. you know, some people look at it as, as something bad and scary, and it can be. But it's also an opportunity for the manager to help the person get better. And that's really how it's supposed to be, right? It's how it's meant to be. So then you look at, okay, how can I enable the person coaching, training, again, the buddy system? Do I do they need additional support, right? Do they need the time off depending on what's going on? So there's a lot of factors really to look at there, right? But with all of that said, like it, it's complex when you're thinking about the person's performance because there's so many different ways to look at it and different things to consider. But at the end of it, the things, what I do that helps me really make that decision long-term, right, is, is you look at the, at the person and, and you ask, do I see them being successful in this organization long-term, right, a year, two, five years from now? Do I see them here thriving? And if the answer is no, well, that's your answer especially as a, as a new manager, is probably a common mistake where you just drag it on and you just keep, because it's hard to make that call because it's a big decision and it's a life changing for that person. So you don't take it lightly. You never should, right? Kind of the whole lose sleep over it and all that. And that's all normal. And the minute you don't lose sleep over, you know, delivering the news to someone, you probably shouldn't be in leadership. But to make that call, right, like do we call it quits kind of thing or do I keep helping this person is when I think about long term. Am I seeing improvement? Do I see this person actually coming out the other end and thriving or am I just prolonging the inevitable? Got it. I like that because yeah. I know a lot of managers struggle with that. They're like, oh, I put a person on PIP, I feel bad. And they continue to delay and delay and delay and don't end up letting that person go or it gets even worse than they they have to let that person go. But I like that question of, you know, put the person on the PIP, think long-term and answer your, answer that question for yourself of whether you think that they could be successful there. And if not, then it's time to call it quits. It's a good advice I received from someone very wise. You've experienced a, a lot of growth, a lot of developments. You've been in your career for about 20 years and in, in leadership uh, for the last nine how do you continue to grow and evolve as a leader? Yeah, so some of the things that I do is, uh, you know, enroll in more training programs. So currently I'm part of the uh, Inside Dell Leadership Development Program to, program to help me um, get to the next level. Sign up for new experiences, like this one, for example. So something you haven't done before, something new and different, maybe scary, right? Like get outside of that comfort zone. So, so try something that will challenge you mentoring within you know organization and uh, outside attending industry events um, conferences and networking with other leaders nothing better than you know comparing notes with with, with other leaders so that's always helpful awesome. and um, any favorite books or courses resources that have influenced you in your leadership style so one of my favorite trainings i've ever done was uh, dale carnegie 
leadership training courses. We did one with the team, so other leaders during pandemic, which was extremely well-timed and very helpful. And I also had a bit on managing stress. And it's really great to do as a team. It's a team of leaders because it really helps you bond and get to know each other. Recommend that. Great, great program. And in terms of books, so I have a couple. Uh, one of the first ones I was introduced to was The Strength Finder by Tom Rath. And the concept there is first understand your strengths and to focus on those strengths. I know uh, traditionally we were taught to try to develop your weaknesses and kind of get better there. But his whole idea is you focus on those areas where you're really good at because that's where you can really shine and make a plan for those weakness areas or areas of opportunity. If you're not good with reports, get someone else to do reports and you're really good with people, right? So kind of balance that out, but have a plan for those areas. So that was a really great book for me. And then one of the other ones that made an impression was uh, Extreme Ownership by Joko Willenick and Leif Babin. And that one talks about, as a leader, how you are responsible for success or failure. It basically everything stops with you, what, regardless of who did what. And having that extreme ownership by leading the team and taking responsibility and accountability for the success or not of the team is really on you. So that one was also very helpful. Love it. So Dale Carnegie, uh, their leadership program. It's funny, I had a Dale Carnegie trainer on my podcast. Uh, we talked about uh, a little bit about that. Uh, Strength Finder, one of my favorite books. You're talking about people can get exponentially better on their strengths versus focusing on their weaknesses. And maybe that might inform the way that you hire, building a team around you and being able to, to complement your areas of opportunity versus building a team that is exactly like you. Well, that, that's actually very interesting that you mentioned that. It's a really interesting piece about building a team and interviewing and hiring a team because naturally what we do as people is we would want to hire people that are like us, that we connect with, right? Like someone that is similar to, to, to us. And building a diverse team is complete opposite of that. Right. And you need someone who's a deep thinker and you need someone who's social and you need someone who's good at analytics. So building that diverse in terms of backgrounds, personality, thought process, experiences, skills, the more diverse it is, the stronger the team is together. Right. So being aware of your own bias, right, as you go through the interviews and as you're hiring and keeping in mind that you want diverse skills, diverse thoughts, right, is, is a big part of it. As we wrap up, uh, what would you say are your top three pieces of advice for first-time managers stepping into leadership roles in these challenging times? So what I learned through my years, and uh, I wish I, I was there to tell myself this, is what you say and what you do matters a great deal to your team. Your words matter what you focus on, what you're driving in is what will matter to them. But also how you say things is very important, right? Like words have power. Sometimes people will not hear the message, but they will hear how you're saying things. My other one, the second one is be generous with your time, with your team. They want to have a relationship with you. They want to connect with you. They want to know you as a person. And it matters to them when you show an interest in them as a person and you care about them as a person. So being genuine and spending time with them and connecting with them is important. So be generous with your time. They will appreciate it and it will go a long way. And then the third one is um, 
My favorite quote, it's by Peter Drucker, and it's culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I would add, especially during challenging times, right? So you've heard me say culture probably a million times already today. Very important to build that strong culture if you want the team to deliver on business results. So those would be my uh, my pieces of advice. And, and I think adding adding to that with that extreme ownership, it's the manager is responsible for building that culture. Well, it starts, 100%, it starts with the leader, yes. Yeah, right, so what's rewarded, what gets looked on, the norms for your team all starts with the leader, so. How you treat people, how you talk to people, they, they see that, yeah. and that's also a big part. Yeah, so what we say matters, be generous with your time and your team and culture eats strategy for breakfast. And then three B would be that the manager is responsible for building that culture. Amazing. Larissa, I wanted to ask you if anyone wants to connect with you, learn more about you, how can they do so? They can find me on LinkedIn. So Larissa Lizniak, a senior technical sales manager. And uh, I would love to connect with those first time or e even not first time managers. We all need a, a village, right? We all need our network. And if you're looking for someone to be the sounding board or if you need advice, I'm very happy to uh, to help out. Just reach out. Awesome. Reach out to, to Larissa. Her last name is spelled Lizniak. L-I-S-N-Y-A-K uh, is uh, how to spell her last name. So find her on LinkedIn and connect with Larissa. Um, Larissa, I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your expertise with my audience today. Thank you, Chris, for having me. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of You Can Manage That. For more information about Larissa, you can check out her LinkedIn. Her LinkedIn profile is going to be in the show notes. I'm Chris Asper. For more information about me, you can also check the show notes for both my LinkedIn as well as my website, www.chrisasper.com. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. Join us again next time when we talk with other leaders and experts so you can manage that. Bye for now.